A circle of grass, smooth as a lawn, met her eyes with dark trees dancing all around it. And then, oh joy, for he was there, the huge lion, shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fourth book in the series, Prince Caspian, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories and random cultural stuff that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give a spoiler warning along the way if there's anything too egregious, but today we are discussing Prince Caspian, Chapter 10, The Return of the Lion. Return of the Lion. Let's go. I mean, not a blatant reference to uh, to our friend J.R. Tolkien, right? Definitely not. Uh, it's definitely not The Return of the King because he's... I mean, The Return of the King was definitely less cryptic than this chapter. This is true. Uh, I think this is more of a reference to the return of the Mac. Uh, but, you know, could go either way. Uh, but Chase, how about I give us a summary? Sounds great. So going along the gorge, turns out Chase wasn't as easy as the kids thought that it was going to be. You know, turns out climbing a cliff is tough. They came up to some young fir woods, and after some pushing through, they realized they wouldn't be able to travel that way, and then they came out and tried to go through them, but then realized that that path was taking them in a direction away from their target. And then hiking along the gorge was a slow and arduous time, but they wanted to be sure they were going in the right direction. It was all the more maddening, knowing that if they could only cross and scale the cliffs on the other side, that would be only a short walk from Caspian's headquarters. But their path was unforgiving. At last, they came around a bend in open country, and as the great river spread out before them, the boys began talking about the Battle of Baruna, as they quickly looked over, as they looked over the town that stood on the fords where it was fought, and the walk also became quicker and easier as the gorge turned into a valley, but then suddenly, the whirs of arrows began flying at them and were flying at them from all the directions. They quickly had to retreat into the woods that they had just come from. They weren't followed, but they lamented having to come back that way in the first place, and Lucy got to say a, a subtle, I told you so, without actually having to say it, as they make their way back up the gorge. They make camp, and they cook their bear meat, uh, and after the great meal, in good spirit, they went to sleep. That night, Lucy woke up out of a deep sleep to a voice calling her name. Was it her father's voice, or, her, or Peter's voice? It was some voice, and it, was, it sounded like the, you know, her favorite voice she'd ever heard. The call came again, and she sat up in excitement, and looking into the forest, it was as though the trees were moving and walking and dancing about, and she went into the musical movement of the forest, and the trees appeared for a moment as people. But then at second glance, they seemed to just be trees again. She went in further with the sense that, that the trees were almost awake, but not quite. She stepped out into a clearing and was filled with joy as she saw him, Aslan, shining bright in the moonlight. She never stopped to wonder whether it was a friendly lion or not, but instead rushed to hug the great animal. And she rolled over onto his side to greet her and then bent down to touch his tongue to her nose. Lucy said, Aslan, you're, you've grown bigger. And Aslan replied, that's because you're older, little one. And every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. Because, meh. Aslan silently guilt trips Lucy for not following him when she saw him earlier. And even if it meant going alone. He says that she can't know what would have happened if she had followed. 
but she can know what will happen if she goes and does the things because will happen is the future and the future is yesterday's today. Just don't, don't worry about it. Right. It makes sense. Uh, but she says, go and find out uh, what's going to happen. If you wake up everyone immediately, uh, tell them that they've seen that she's seen Aslan and make them follow her immediately. He says that they probably won't be able to see him at first, but later, maybe. And even if they don't believe her, she still has to go obediently. He says uh, he knows it's hard for her, but things are never happen the way the same way twice. Not in Narnia, and it has been hard for everyone in Narnia at one point or another. She buries her face in his mane and was filled with lion strength. That's an actual line in this book that uh, you know I prefer to take literally as super strength, uh, and that's that's how it goes. And then. Aslan calls her a lioness, which probably means she is now at least part lion, uh, and then stood up ready to follow Aslan's instructions. Lucy went to wake them. Peter said, all right, but then Oak had been rolled back over into his sleep. Susan said she was only dreaming, and Edmund, though he was hard to wake, is excited at the idea of seeing Aslan. And though he couldn't see him, and even though he only knew that Lucy could, uh, you know, he was staring right at them. She said that Aslan had told her the others might not be able to see him at first, and Edmund said he wished he could see him too, but he knows best, and he decides to trust her and help her wake the others, and our chapter ends. It's all a metaphor. It's uh, a metaphor, but that actually happened. I mean, look, if lion strength isn't literal, then I don't know what is. I mean, I wish, I mean, I think that's really the point of this book is how do we get lion strength? Uh, yeah, this is a step-by-step -step guide to having the strength of a lion. I think that's actually probably a Christian book out there. Strength of a lion, uh, probably. Find a lion, bury your head in its mane, and breathe deeply, and see, then you what, absorb its powers. What you do is you get a blood transfusion, but with lion blood. Mm, I love it. There's no way that this could go wrong. But, Chase, we start our chapter with the children making their way down the, the gorge. The huge cliffside, and, and wouldn't you believe it, Chase? It's kind of tough. Yeah, crazy how climbing down into a valley makes it harder to get get out and also harder to yeah. travel. You know, but like if you get down to the bottom of the valley, the worst thing that happens is you just have to climb up the other side after crossing a river. If only they had kept their boat. Yep. A boat what? I'm not Canadian. Uh, oh, sorry. Might be. But they make their way through, and it's a long, arduous journey, and no one's talking about breakfast or, or even did about having breakfast or dinner with Caspian anymore because it's taking too long. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis has a few little smart asides in here, right? He goes, they may have been wise to stick to the rush instead of going along the top because he's like, hey, you know, you can actually see where the river's going. And then he goes, but it was pretty difficult. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. So who's to say, right? But what they were doing was logical, but it didn't go well. It didn't go well. Almost like that's the whole point. Uh, but Does God just wants us to be happy and have an easier life. Says, who said that? That, that doesn't seem to ring a bell. I mean, he, he wanted us to take the easy way out, right? I'm sorry, Aslan. I believe that Jesus said, in this world, you will have no trials at all. So don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's going to take us out or uh, rapture us out of the gorge, if you will. 
into yes. the, the high ridge where we can watch all the pain that's happening. That way we can have the high ground. Yes. When we go they, high, they go right. low. When they go low, we go high. Yes. Yes, bingo. But there's this little, like, this. it's one of these little C.S. Lewis asides where he's like, this was not a, a nice place at all for traveling. I mean, it was a nice place for people not in a hurry. Like, this would have been a beautiful place to have, like, a little picnic and an afternoon tea. And, like, it's got, you know, waterfalls and cascades and beautiful trees and rocks and all these things. But if you're in a hurry and you're trying to get somewhere, this ain't great. Yeah, It's like, okay. A hiking spot. Thanks for this, C.S. Lewis. We can't go here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't need a travel guide. You trying to sell us on, the like, the tourism of of uh, of narnia uh i mean i'm pretty sure half of next book is actually just a pitch for timeshares in narnia fair you know honestly fair uh but we got some beachside ones that's why we uh, have to get on the dawn treader bingo uh but the uh it says their journey began to become more of a climb and less of a walk who'd have thought when going down a cliffside that it'd be a climb not me chase uh but they you know slowly miserably and exhaustedly make their way through they decide to you know not cook uh, any meals yet because they just want to make their way through and uh they finally uh as they're you know making their way through uh they finally reach the 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 you know big river gorge and they see the valley spreading out in front of them and uh, and it's actually really nice uh, but before they do that, there's this little line that I want to mention real fast. Um, but it says, uh, like, they were, you know, they would have been more exhausted from this trip, but they were starting to become more and more like their Narnian selves and their English selves. And that even Lucy was by now, so to speak, only one third of a little girl going to boarding school for the first time and two thirds of Queen Lucy of Narnia. Are they anamorphs? I don't. I don't really know what commentary or joke I want to make about this. It just seems funny to me. I mean, that's just... There's a reason puberty takes a, a couple of years. Like, yeah. it doesn't sound comfortable. It doesn't sound like a good time for anybody. I can see why they're fighting a lot. It's, uh, it's a bad time. It's for someone who's two-thirds Queen Lucy of Narnia, she's not speaking with any King James English, so... That's also too bad. Well, that, the one third was the language. Mm. And the language, the height, the physical appearance. You know. Really, any of the stuff they could have used in this situation, uh, that was the one third. The two thirds was Constellation the, the knowledge. trees. Constellation knowledge, dancing with trees. Yes. Seeing Aslan. Um, Which w one of those is, is helpful. Yeah. You know, the other ones are neat. Yeah. Neat, if, neat as a hobby. Neat as a hobby. Not necessarily at war. Uh, sure. But, you know, Lucy, she's not a warrior, as we've been told. Uh, but they make their way into the valley, and then they see the fords of Baruna, and they see a little, you know, little town that's been, uh, been built upon it. And they start reminiscing over the Battle of Baruna, which, if you remember from the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, that is where they fought the climactic battle oh you don't remember it it's because we didn't see it happen it's the yeah. one that didn't happen on screen but we were told how awesome it was i mean we get about as much detail about it in this book as in that book where it's just like sure. won a glorious victory hundreds of years ago and a kingdom 
That's the whole story. Nothing whole else. Story. No, nothing worth mentioning. Nope. You know, wish I would have gotten to see these things. Now, now the dwarf was interested, but we're, we're not interested, so we don't need to know those details. Not important. Yep. So they're reminiscing and having a great time talking about this thing that may or may not have happened. Uh, and all of a sudden, whiz, an arrow comes shooting at them, almost hits, uh, almost hits Peter in the head. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, they start getting surrounded and shot at by tons of arrows, Chase. It's a nightmare. I mean, I'm pretty sure Susan gets hit in her helmet at one point, which I didn't realize she was wearing a helmet, but I'm, I'm glad she was. Hey, good for her. Everyone, you know, this is words to the wise. Make sure that you never shut yourself in a wardrobe and always wear a helmet. I've always said you need a helmet. You always need a helmet, especially if you're in a wardrobe or getting shot at by people who have bows and arrows. Uh, but as, the, as this arrow shoots off of uh, Susan's head, they run their way back into the forest and back uphill in the direction that they came. Uh, and, you know, it's a real bummer for them. Yeah, back up the river and through the woods. To, uh, to grandmother's house? Aslan's how we go. To Aslan's how they'll go. Uh, but the good news is they're not being followed, but they can't go back the direction they came, Chase. I mean, whoever was shooting at them is really bad at their job if they're not being followed. But Why are they not being followed? Are they know, not? No explanation. Literally just like, well, I guess the woods are safe. But yeah, it's a, it's a solid bait and switch to see the clear path to Aslan's Howl and then immediately have to turn around and go back the other way. Bummer. But, uh, you know, they, they decide, all right, Got to go all the way back up again. And and Lucy goes, I suppose we'll have to go right up the gorge again now. And Peter is like, hey, that's, you know, thank you for not saying I told you so. I told you so. And that's the closest you've come. And I appreciate it. Says, Lou, you're a hero. Uh, and Not, Trump not enough of a hero to listen to. Even to listen to very chapter. Uh, right. Uh, but, you know, whatevs. Uh, and then Trumpkin's like, all right, fine. But I'm cooking the bear meat. And so they cook it. And everyone's having a great time, uh, and they all go to sleep. But uh, you know, it it, it does it does let us know, like C.S. Lewis on one of his uh, on one of his little description uh, tangents is letting us know that this ta- this bear meat was you know so delicious that it you know if you've never had bear meat, which is probably the majority of people, yeah, then you know, percent of people. Than you know, bear meat. If you're not bear, in this, Alaska right now, which I don't know how many Alaskan listeners we have. If we do, welcome to the pod. Uh, but yeah, leave, leave a rating review if you if you live in Alaska. We want to yeah. know. We want to know you. Uh, but it says bears that eat other bears don't generally taste good, but bears that eat honey and fruit are excellent. And this turned out to be the honey and fruit sort of bear, so it was delicious. Chase, how does C.S. Lewis know this? Does he eat bear? Uh, I highly doubt it. I how how many? I don't know what lives in England, Cal. <laughs> I really don't. Sad people. I don't know. I thought all the bears lived in Russia. Yeah, and maybe they learned to swim. But oh, no. that's terrifying. They're polar bears, Chase. <laughs> A fleet of bears coming across the channel. 
I think that's why the British Army and Navy has succeeded so much historically. But <laughs> it's because they have a fleet of bears. Could be. But not ones that eat other bears. No, Thank just God. bears that eat honey and, and, and animals. Oh, and I mean I mean I mean fruits. Uh, but he lets us know that this was a delicious tasting bear. And now they're, you know, real excited to, you know, see Caspian and fight Mraz in a few days. And then they go to sleep. Lucy gets a delicious, amazing, you know, perfect sleep. Uh, and she wakes up to a voice calling her name. And it was the voice she liked best in the world. She says, this is where, you know, this chapter, I think, really starts to get really, really cool after this moment. Um, like, this is, a, a, like, just a section of really good writing. Uh, that is just really, really fun to read and, and to experience here. Yeah. And it's also, it's interesting that at first she thought it was her father's voice. That didn't seem quite right. Then she thought it was Peter's voice, but that didn't seem to fit either. Like, she's just kind of laying there. And it's, uh, I don't know. Should Should she be hearing... Uh, it kind of feels like the, you know, the potion in Harry Potter, where if you smell it, it's different. I am Ortinkia. Yes, that one. It, it feels like that, where like, this is giving us like a little insight into Lucy's psychology. Yeah. But it's uh, interesting that Peter is number two on her list. Which is a sweet thing, you know, that's yeah. like, that's, that's you, nice. Uh, you, but, uh you wish that he'd listen to her when she says things, but you know, he almost listens, which is almost good. I mean, Ed Edmund's got to be moving up that list quickly. Edmund's a G, right? I'm, you know, I said it in Lion, Witch and Wardrobe pod. I'm, I think you've convinced me like team Edmund all the way. Yeah. Like Ed Edmund is, is biblical Peter, not, not book Peter. I love it. Love it. Uh, but then, you know, Lucy, she's, you know, just enjoying this sweet, sweet moment. And she hears Lucy. Her name gets called again. And she knows that it's neither her father's nor Peter's. And she, she sits up excitedly. And she begins to wander through the woods alone at night as a little girl. But don't worry. There's only, you know, ferocious bears in this wood uh, that, you know, have tried to kill her earlier this day. But I will point out, because we've been talking about this word, the place that they bivouacked was completely open. Bivouacked? B-I-V-O-U-A-C-K-E-D. Bivouacked. So last, last chapter, we learned the word bivouac, and now we learn the past tense, bivouacked. You know what? I'm, I'm doing it, Chase. I'm yeah. going to do some research. We, we bivouacked through the woods today. A bivouac is a temporary camp without tents or cover used especially by soldiers or mountaineers. So it's a fancy way to say they were sleeping on the ground. It's a fancy way to say they're camping in the woods, like, which is exactly what they're doing. But, you know, C.S. Lewis has got to let us know that he's an English professor, so yeah. he knows a lot of cool words. I mean, so, that, that word's got some French vibes, but... Bivouacked. But they, uh, so she makes her way through and she begins to look at the trees and chase. There's this really, really cool passage where just, she's like, why well, I do believe they're moving. They're walking about. It's almost as if, you know, the, 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 the commentary she had last chapter where she's like, you know, it seems like they're almost awake. 
and like she calls them to wake up that they're progressively becoming more alert and more alive now they're moving they they look a little bit more lifelike like it says the first tree she looked at seemed at first glance not to be a tree at all but a huge man with a shaggy beard and great bushes of hair and obviously she's seen that before so no worries mm-hmm. um but yeah she like these trees are all moving so much that she can't tell if they have feet or roots like they look more like people even though they're still like trees like they yeah. kind of people like trees and it's uh like you you really get the sense that like something like groundbreaking is happening in this case like the trees aren't conscious yet but they're uh they're definitely alive absolutely yeah i like the little you know the line here it says when they looked like trees it was like strangely human trees and when they looked like people it was like strangely branchy and leafy people like you're you're seeing this in between phase here, um, and Lucy says they're almost awake, not quite. She knew herself, but and like then she she knew she herself was wide awake, wider than anyone usually is. And so it's this uh, this idea of like she is experiencing like extreme alertness and like awareness because she's approaching what we're going to find out is Aslan, right? So she makes her way through the trees and they're dancing and she's enjoying their, you know, melodious tunes and she's having a good time. And then- It's really interesting, like the way she has to push through because you get the sense that these trees are are definitely moving a bunch. But then also it's like unclear whether, like there's a line where it's almost- she couldn't quite tell if she was pushing through ba- branches or holding the hands of dance partners. Mm. And it, uh, it's kind of that, like you get the sense of like trees that are blowing in the wind and branches moving and kind of how that, when you do see that on a very windy day, there is kind of a dancing quality to it. Yeah. So it's a really like pretty p- word picture that he paints. Super pretty. Like, I mean, this is like we've said, this is great writing. And then, you know, I told you this before we started. We're, you know, we open this chapter up with a quote of like how when she first sees Aslan, basically from this quote for the next like four or five pages, uh, I feel like someone who is, you know, uh, being told like, hey, highlight what's important in the Bible. And you just are like, ah, oh, that's everything, right? Because everything in my notes are, you know, just highlighted because it's either beautiful. It's something worth talking about. It's an interesting, like, point of theology, uh, or it's just you know good writing. Yeah. All right. Well, where where do you want to jump into that? Because let's just go for it, man. So it starts off. Uh, let's you know she sees Aslan, and she doesn't question whether it's a friendly lion or a beastly lion. She knows, right? She knows in her heart what who Aslan is, what he is, and she runs at him. She jumps on him. She wraps her arms around his neck uh, and kisses him and buries her face in his, you know, beautiful, rich, silky mane. Uh, dude's got to be using L'Oreal or something. Uh, but hey, maybe it's she, Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's Aslan. Uh, but she goes, Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, at last. And, you know, Aslan rolls over so that, like, she can give all, she can, uh, you know, be in his arms and he can give her a hug uh, and he licks her nose and, he warms her with her with his breath and 
I just love this reckless abandon from Lucy where she knows who her, she knows Aslan, right? This is this personal relationship. She doesn't have to question whether this is a scary lion or if it's Aslan. Yeah. And and it's really interesting that the way Aslan greets her is so affectionate. Like he does roll over to greet her. He does Mm. kiss her on the nose. He does like treat her in this very familial, like, Absolutely. Soft, comforting way, even though he's going to have some kind of harsher, like, posture during this conversation. Right. That's not where he starts, and that's not, like, his overarching deal. It's, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. So as, you know, she greets him, they have this interesting exchange. Before we get into the weird shaming things, he goes, Welcome, child. And Aslan, she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And she goes, that's because you are older, little one. And she goes, not because you are. And he responds, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Which is just a real interesting, like, little couplet of dialogue back and forth. It's a, that's a classic preacher pool quote. But, uh, yeah, it's like, there, there's even layers to that because even the, like, Aslan's not older. That's a just a, yeah. a fun fact about Aslan is he he is he doesn't get older. He uh, doesn't age. He is eternal. Aslan is Yahweh. Yes, yes, he is at who he is. Um, but yeah, the the fact that like every year you grow, you'll find me bigger is such a cool perspective of like faith and in, in the depth that comes with with age and learning and and personal growth. Um, I mean, it's, it's the cliche thing that every other sermon feels like pulls this quote be like, yeah. And you know, the more, more you, you get older and have more life experience and, and grow in your biblical knowledge, you'll find God that much bigger. It's like, it's kind of cliche, but it's also, True. It's like it's it's cliche and like the way that's like it's actually deep if you if you're yeah. familiar with it and and dive into it um, right because like the greater understanding you have of the Lord the more that you'll recognize the Lord is beyond your understanding yeah. and is so much bigger and so much greater than even you thought he was previously yeah Aslan sizes without limit and so. It's so, limiting is uh is Lucy's perspective and ability to to perceive. Yeah. So what we're what we're getting at is more or less Aslan is kind of like the Hulk, where the angrier the Hulk gets, the bigger and stronger he gets. But in Aslan's case, it's just the older. So like if Lucy lived, you know, say to be a thousand forty years old, Aslan would be huge. Which is why he accidentally made a clearing in the forest when he touched down. That's uh, true. Just, just like the Hulk. Just uh, like the Hulk. But now Chase. Like the Hulk. Aslan, I mean, I'm not going to say he's mad, but he's not like, he's not like lit. He's not happy, right? Uh, and we get some weird little like shaming things from Aslan here because he's like, yeah, we've got a, like, we've got a lot of work to do and you've lost a lot of time today. And she's like, I know, right? Like, no one listened to me. And then Aslan gets mad at her and starts, like, growling at her. And she goes, I'm, I'm sorry, because she understands his moods. 
She goes, I didn't mean to start, you know, slinging the others, but it wasn't my fault anyway. And, and Aslan just looks at her and she's like, what do you like? You don't mean that it was like you, you wanted me to like leave and just, you know, come up to you alone. How could I have done that? Like, oh, I mean, I guess I could have, but you know, I would have, you know, it, it, I would have been alone and, you know, though I, I would have been with you, but you know, what would have been the good? You know, and they just have this interesting thing where Aslan is basically just like, like silent treating her. Yeah, silently shaming her and then just making her go down the line of like, what? Like, so you mean like it could have been fine, but like, ah, but no one, no one told me, like, how could I know? It's, it's all this stuff. And there, there's an interesting side to it because part of it, like, I I don't think that the posture that God takes towards us is a shaming posture post-resurrection. But it is interesting that Aslan is silent through the entire thing. And this is basically a conversation that Lucy is having with herself. Like it's an interesting, like, like her unpacking the realization of, Mm -hmm. of what she should have done or so the thing that she should have done that she didn't realize she even could do. Um, yeah. It's an interesting, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like, I like I'm not sure whether I like it or like whether it might, I don't know if that's quite right. Like right. from the theological standpoint, but parts that I like about this are the fact that it's like, yes, like Lucy could have gone alone and she would have been not alone. She would have been with Aslan. That like, you know, you, you have to follow Aslan, you have to follow Jesus, even when it's hard, like yeah, you have yeah. to do those things and make those decisions. And that's I kind like, of like the, like the stories in Daniel, right? Like where yeah. it's like choosing the path of faithfulness, even if everyone else is going the other way. Right. So I like that. And I, you know, I think that's true. And I do really like what you said, even about like her communicating by herself, right? Because Jesus is not physically walking amongst us right now. And so, so most much of us of, aren't hearing an audible voice when we're talking. Correct. So most of us are having to wrestle with like, what are the things we know of God? What are the things that we have read in the scripture? And what is the Holy Spirit prompting us internally? But like, it's going to come across as what are our thoughts, right? Like we have to wrestle through things on our own. Um, and so I do like that aspect. I don't like the shaming aspect of Aslan because though Jesus and like the Holy Spirit is here to convict us of sin and here to remind us of sin, he does not want us to live in shame and be motivated by shame. He wants to be motivated by love and obedience and following him. Yeah. There, the, the thing that gives me like a bad taste in my mouth from this part of the book is the kind of fe- finger wagging aspect of it of like, well, if you had only been better, maybe things would have worked out different. Which, like, sometimes that is true in retrospect, but it's that's typically not how we see God deal with people who are coming to a place of repentance. Like, right. like His patience is is a different posture that we mm-hmm. see when He actually deals with people in the Bible. Right. Um, so, yeah, all that to say. It just feels weird um, that Aslan is shaming. And we all, we, we've noted, you know, previously some of the, like, when you're trying to make Aslan Jesus, 
and you don't write him always the most Christ-like, like or like not always like how Jesus would respond, you come into some weirdness. And uh, that's the that is the problem with allegory, where like there we always need to keep in mind, especially for the people who are Christians who are who are reading these books, like C.S. Lewis is not the Bible. Like C.S. Lewis is not the source or the or the foundation of our faith. And so he is telling compelling stories that have cool aspects and how he is interpreting certain things that he believes through the lens of his storytelling. But we need to run him through the lens of scripture, not the other way around. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but after this moment, he tells her like, hey, this like we can't we can't know what would have happened but we can know what will happen if you do it, right? Like where it's like, okay, so you're uh, just basically saying like- You're not gonna you know, tell me what will happen, so. Right, so in essence, he's saying, you'll know what will happen as you do things because when you do things, the things that will have happened, happened. Yes, that is how time works. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and so, I will not know what's gonna happen five minutes from now, until but five minutes five from minutes. now, I'm gonna know what's happening five minutes from now. Yeah, which is, it seems like it's like a deep statement, but it's really just not. Um, it's existential buffoonery, as one podcast sometimes puts uh, puts things. Sure. Um, and But she says, what you need to do now is you need to go wake everyone up, tell them that you've seen me, and then tell them that you have to follow me at once. Uh, and like she's like, okay, like, is that what you want me to do? And he's like, yes, that I'm committed, like, consider this me telling you to do this. And she goes, okay, is everyone going to see you? And he goes, not at first. Later on, it depends. And he goes, but they won't believe me. And he goes, it doesn't matter, right? Um, and it's it's this interesting thing of like, he is willingly going to withhold his presence from the other travelers, right? Um, which is an interesting concept of like, hey, Lucy is the one that has been most faithful and most eager to be with Aslan. And has been looking for him. Therefore, she finds him. But now Aslan is going to hold himself back until the other travelers and the other people are ready to see him. I just think that's an interesting, like, you know, way to refer to, like, what, you know, does Jesus hold himself back from us? I would say no. However, there is this idea of, like, hardening of people's hearts and blinding you know people to realities where it's like hey if you're choosing to not look for the lord like you're there's you're going to be able to like you know move on your own yeah when you are ready to look for him he is always there yeah this one is definitely an interesting aspect because i i think you're right i think the the truer christian allegory would be if they were looking for him, they would find him. But because they're not truly looking for him, they don't find him. So like when Edmund is looking to see Aslan, he should be able to see Aslan based on like good Christian theology. Right. Allegory is going kind of the other direction in this, where it's like more of a, well, Lucy is the one person of faith who is going to go and call the people who aren't there yet to like go with her and trust her in hopes that they will see at some point too, which right. is a cool, like, like line to go down. It just, 
kind of falls out a little bit when you have someone like Edmund in the picture who does earnestly actually want to. Because, like, like, they're, like, seeking when you'll find. Like, knocking will be answered. Like, God God isn't, like, hiding. He's, his arms are open. Right. So that's just a, it's a point of, like, of small contention there. Um, But after this, uh, last little piece of dialogue they have uh, before she, you know, goes back off. Um, he, he, she's like, man, this is going to be so much harder. And like, I was excited to be with you. And like, I thought I would get to stay with you and you, you know, just come in and conquer everything like you did last time. And now it's going to be really difficult. And he goes, it, it is hard. And like, it's going to be hard for you, little one, but things never happen the same way twice. Uh, it has been hard for us all in Narnia before now, uh, and, which is a really cool thing. Cause like, Jesus doesn't generally perform miracles in the same way twice, which is a like that's a nice little biblical parallel. But he's saying like, hey, in everyday life, like mm-hmm. if you look at, I feel like this is a trap that a lot of us fall into: is we've learned something before or had a place of growth before, and so we try to go to that exact same path to try to find it again in the future, thinking that it's always going to come the same way. Like, like you think about like personal growth or places where you've actually felt like God's presence. And a lot of times that becomes a dead end because you've already done that growth. Like you've already had that experience. And so the place God is calling you to grow is actually down the line around the corner. Yeah. But because that's unfamiliar, uncomfortable, like not clear yet, you're afraid to go that direction because here is a place that you're you know, and it's a, it's a cool, cool aspect of that. I, I like that line a lot. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's really sweet. And and I appreciate that he's, you know, communicating to kids like, Hey, life is hard, but it's okay. Like things have been hard before they'll be hard again and we're going to get through it. You know, that's a great thing to communicate to children. Uh, and then what immediately happens is Lucy buries her head in, you know, in, in, in his mane, and she says there must have been magic in his mane. She could feel lion strength going into her. And uh, she goes, okay, I'm sorry. I'm ready now. And he goes, now you are a lioness. Thundercats, ho! Man, what I love, especially about that little, like, mm-hmm. and I mean, to the listeners, at this point, we're literally just going line by line through this chapter. Uh, it is really good. Lucy buries her head in his mane to hide from his face. And yeah. like that idea that like the reason she gets strength from that is because even though she's hiding from what he wants her to do, she's hiding in him. And that's where she gets strength to go forward and actually do what he's calling mm-hmm. her to do. And that's a really deep, like, like Christian realization. Yeah. Do you hide when you're scared? Do you hide in something else or do you hide in the Lord? like that's a such a good thing and you like when you go to the lord you will be filled with perhaps not lion strength but you'll be filled with you know the strength of the lord you'll be given the encouragement that you need the comfort and the courage you know whatever it might be uh and you will be a lion quote or lioness um but if she is literally a lioness what is her superpowers as now the lioness, a um, superhero. She can, she can jump 30 feet, you know, in a different direction, not up. 
uh, as we've decided, as we've, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, uh, more or less a flying, uh, flying lion girl, uh, not 30 feet straight up in the air, but 30 feet, you know, in a, you know, long jump situation. Uh, I think that, uh, she's got talons and things. So I think it's going to be pretty dope for her, but, uh, she makes her way through, uh, and with, with Aslan through the woods, uh, and all of the trees and the wood gods and the wood goddesses are all bowing to the lion. And then when they turn back into trees, it still appears as if they're bowing to him, which is really beautiful imagery once again. Uh, and then Aslan says, Hey, I'm going to wait for you here. You go wake up the other people and you know, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll be on our way. And at first she's, you know, really nervous, but she comes up to Peter and she's like, Hey, Aslan's here. And he says, we've got to go at once. And Peter's like, yeah, sure. Whatever you like. And she's like, oh man, this is going to be way easier than we thought. But it turns out Peter was just kind of sleep talking and he just rolls back over and goes to sleep. So she tries Susan and she says, no, you Lucy, you've been dreaming again, go to sleep. So she tackles Edmund and you're like, man, like she's most nervous about him because of, you know, history, but he, and he's like, uh, what? Huh? Mm-hmm. And he's really sleepy. And she tells him, and he is excited. This is like my favorite thing, right? Where it's like, he's immediately like, where's Aslan? Tell me where, like, where is he? And she points and he, he, he's trying to look for him and he can't see him. Uh, and he, he goes, you know, I thought I saw something for a moment, but it was probably just an optical, uh, what do you call it? He's trying to say optical illusion. Um, but he's like, well, you know, he's like, like Lucy is discouraged, but she says, you, he said you probably wouldn't be able to see him. Uh, but, you know, you have to just believe me. Uh, and he goes, why? He goes, I don't know. But that's what he said. And Edmund should like old Edmund would have been like, no, like, screw you, Lucy. Like, I'm going back to sleep. This makes no sense. But in this case, he decides, hey, you know what? Like, it doesn't make sense, but I suppose we're going to have to wake the others. And I just like that a lot. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, I like that even though Ed- Edmund can't see, he still trusts his sister enough to step forward. Like mm-hmm. it, it says a lot about like the character that Lucy has and, and Edmund's like maturity to be able to say like, you know what? My senses are telling me one thing, but you're the kind of person who I, I know that I should believe. And therefore I'm going to go against my senses to a certain extent to actually like, step forward into what feels a little crazy. Absolutely. But Chase, that's how our chapter ends. And uh, would you like to dive further up and further in first, or would you like me to? Uh, I can do it. Go for it, man. So, uh, yeah, for my further up and further in, really just kind of wanted to look at Lucy as as a, a prophetess in, in this mm. chapter, which uh, if you're not familiar with like the Bible, especially the old Testament, that might sound like a weird statement, but prophecy in general is, is a theme in fantasy literature. And this is also a biblical allegory. Um, But the, especially when Lucy is being awakened in the middle of the night, basically C.S. Lewis is taking like a, like story from the Bible and just translating it onto it's happening to Lucy instead of the prophet Nathan in uh, in the Bible. And the story is basically that he's laying in bed, 
hears a voice calling his name and like he's like goes down the hall and to the guy who he's living with is like were you calling me and the guy's like nah and happens again same thing like no nah, i'm not calling you happens again and and the the more mentor figure that he's living with is like oh i see what's happening you're hearing god's voice what you need to go do and is wait to hear it again and just say here i am like i'm 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 listening and that's where nathan first starts meeting with god and kind of has his calling as a prophet um but in general, the theme of prophecy in this chapter is really rich because so a prophet in, in the biblical kind of picture is the person who sees and, and hears from God and communicates that truth to the people like in God's place, essentially. And so Lucy in the story, she's the one person who sees and hears Aslan and whose call is to follow Aslan, even when no one else listens and so she's going to her siblings, basically as Aslan's representative, calling them to faithfulness in his stead. And that's a scary place to be. The prophets all got killed because no one listened to them either. And so Lucy is in this scary situation of like, okay, well, I both need to convincingly tell them what Aslan is saying, but also like, it's on me to follow even if they, if they don't. And, and that's kind of this quintessential role of the prophet to like be this symbolic active actor of faithfulness, even in the midst of a people who are unfaithful. And so Lucy's kind of sliding into this role in a, in a really cool way. And, and as, as we'll see, it, it should work out, but uh, it's a, uh, it's cool to see C.S. Lewis kind of weave that like thematic imagery into like Lucy's character, especially as the youngest, as the little girl, as the one who's not always listened to as part of her character trait. That's, uh, that's the kind of people that God tends to call. And so it's, uh, it's interesting that she's the one who takes this role in this book. Absolutely. And I'm kind of going to address certain things of that as well where mine is going to be the idea of the doubting Thomas, right? The people, the, the idea of seeing without, or like the of seeing and believing versus believing without seeing. Uh, for those who are unaware, there's a you know story uh, once Jesus has uh, been resurrected where the disciples are gathering around and, you know, Jesus has revealed himself to them. But Thomas, one of his disciples says, no, like, unless I see him with my own eyes and feel him with my own hands and see and feel the, the wounds in his hands with by myself, then I will not believe. And Jesus comes to him and doesn't rebuke him, but instead allows him to, you know, touch his touch his hands and feel the feel the wounds and see him and let him know that like, hey, I, it is actually me. But then he has this line where he said, "Blessed are those who believe without seeing, uh, because you know that's where you know that's where true faith comes in." Uh, and it's this idea of like with Lucy versus Edmund versus the others. Uh, and, and I really want to give Edmund some props here because Lucy is the the instigator of faith, right? She's the one that, who knows that Aslan exists and she is 100% boom, this is it. This is real and moves forward with that knowledge. Uh, and, and so she doesn't need to be convinced that it is Aslan. Uh, and so she is gifted with the ability to like see. She is gifted with this ability to have this personal experience with Aslan, but then you, I want to look at Edmund 
who is saying, hey, you know what? Even though I don't see him, I'm going to believe and I'm going to, you know, move forward with this idea uh, that and, and there is grace, there is redemption, especially because he, out of everyone in the you know, line in the witch in the wardrobe, would have been the person to go, no, I can't see it. I can't feel it. I can't experience it. Therefore, it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. And now he's come to the point where he goes, no, I've experienced him before and I know what this is like. And I'm going to believe that he is moving now. Uh, and I think you just see a sweet moment of, of C.S. Lewis starting to address some really difficult topics of faith in a way that makes sense to children, in a way that says, hey, we all know what it's like to doubt. And we all know what it's like to you know, not believe something, even though we can't see it. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't believe it just because you can't see it, just because you can't interact with it personally. Right. But instead, you should walk in faith. Uh, and and understand that God can still move, uh, and I just think that's a it's a really cool situation that we find them in. Chase, I think you're muted, my friend. I am muted. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cal, uh, I have been shaking you vigorously, trying to wake you up, and uh, now now that we're awake, you should probably tell the listeners where the heck they can find this podcast and Ugh. how they can rate it faithfully, even though, uh, even though they can't see it. Even though they can't see us, they let it, like they should know that we are here. And the way that they can know that we're here is by finding us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, really anywhere that you find podcasts, uh, giving us a five-star rating. That'll help more people be able to, to find us eventually and you know potentially see how great this podcast is. You know, maybe not. But whoever. But if you want to interact with us more uh, and, and not just be, you know, dancing in the woods with some trees, uh, but instead, if you want to really see what it's like to interact with this podcast, go follow us on at the Chronicles of Podcasts on Instagram uh, and leave us some comments and uh, we'll let you know when different episodes are coming out and we'll have a great time. But in the meantime, Chase, you know, just uh, don't fall asleep because you know, we got, we got work to do and you've spent a lot of time going in the wrong direction in this podcast. I, I am Groot. Am I Groot or the trees Groot? Never mind. Yeah, we are Groot. Next week. We are Groot. Is this your church office or is this at your new house? This is the church office. I mean, I figured you didn't have like a podium and a whiteboard in your, uh, in your house, but you never know. It'd be a cool office. Yeah, no, this is my my church office. This is where all of my decor that uh, Courtney deemed unworthy of being displayed in our actual home, uh, that's where it went. So that's why I have you know this flag, map of Middle Earth, uh, you know my degree, uh, but whatever. <laughs> Unimportant stuff. Unimportant stuff. Um, but it's whatever. Actually. Uh, <laughs>